Amen. Well, we're here. Um, I didn't think that I was going to be here. Um, I had to go to Somerville on Thursday. <laughs> and then I went to Isaiah Square. Um, and once we got out of that, we decided we needed to go back to Somerville on Friday night. Anybody else have something very similar to you? And then just, you know, just to test it, uh, we drove into North Charleston and went to Tanger Outlet yesterday. Um, I now understand the words of David when he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So the Lord has, uh, has gotten us all here through this season. For some of you, I know it's been, it's been a rough one. Um, you ever heard the expression, they say, you don't really appreciate what you have until it's gone? You ever been there? Speaking to someone this morning, they're experiencing their first Christmas without their mom. And like, it just seems like she was the glue, like the world has just fallen apart. Family members arguing and can't seem to get any kind of peace in the situation. For some of you, uh, you've lost family this year. This is your first Christmas facing uh, this season without that person sitting at the table uh, with you. And, and, there's, and you, you know that it was a lot when they were here, but you realize that there was a whole lot more behind the scenes. I, I just think about my grandparents, my, my grandmother, my grandfather. There were always people of great wisdom who spoke into me. I remember um, in high school, I broke up with this girl. Uh, let me stop. Let me repent of that. This girl broke up with me. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went to grandma, and it was the worst thing. How many went to a high school breakup? All right, just a few of us, because... Listen, the other ones broke up with you, and they don't want to admit it because they feel guilty. But I remember going to my grandma saying, hey, this girl broke up with me, and blah, 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 blah. And she and her, all her words of wisdom is, uh, you can do better. I did, thankfully. I did way better. But she always had these words of wisdom, and I realized how impactful she was in my life and how impactful my grandfather was when, when they left. And there are times that when you lose things, you, you don't realize how much you value them until... They're gone. And, and I think we would agree that any loss that we experience, any loss that we experience, would you agree with me that it's painful? Like it's painful. Uh, it doesn't matter what you lose. And, and I think about this too. We live here in the low country. And just last week, we had this weird storm that moved through. Because here in the low country in South Carolina, we have multiple seasons in a year, in, in, a, in a month, right? And when I was growing up in December, there was a possibility of snow here in South Carolina. Remember those days? Like it might snow but it didn't, but there was a chance, and it at least felt like Christmas outside. It doesn't feel like Christmas outside right now. I feel like we could go put up a, a jump castle and some slip and slides and be totally fine, but we, we had this weird storm that kind of blew through last week, didn't we? That your, your Christmas decorations, your reindeer actually were flying across the yards into other people's yards, and um, the one thing I always worry about with power, is, with, with wind and situations like that, is the unexpected loss of power, right? Um, I don't know about you, it gets on my nerves, y'all. It does, because when the power goes out, you got to reset the clock on the stove and the microwave and the coffee pot. And it really is like third world or first world problems going on here. Like, oh, I got to reset all these things. But wouldn't you agree with me that there's a difference between uh, anticipated loss of power and an unanticipated loss of power? Like, for instance, if I told you, hey, in just a minute, we're going to turn all lights off, you'd be fine with that, right? If we went complete, because you knew, you know this is coming. But if I took you out into the woods, 
And I don't know why you and I would be out in the woods. We're Berkeley County. We're going hunting for something. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always season to shoot at something. And the one flashlight we have completely goes out, and we're in the middle of the woods all by ourselves. That's unanticipated loss of power. Would you agree with me that being in here and losing power, knowing it was about to happen, and being in the middle of the woods, losing power, not knowing it was about to happen, wouldn't you say the second scenario would be a lot scarier than the first scenario? Because I don't know about you, but I hear things in the dark. Right? Like, don't, don't, don't sit here and polish your halos. Some of you are the same way, you adults. I know how it is. Like, you get, you get in these places and like you're, you get that one night where your spouse and the kids are gone and you got the house to yourself. And the lights can be on. It doesn't matter. But you hear things. That thing under the bed that you said, no, nah, that didn't exist. It, now you're starting to think it does. Somebody's tapping on your window. You start to hear weird sounds. Um, it, it's, it's crazy. Because darkness anticipated, fine, unanticipated, not so much. We, we do not deal well with loss. And, and what we're going to do this morning, I, I want to show you how the nation of Israel lost something that was not unanticipated. They were told it was going to happen. They were told how to prevent it, and they didn't. We're going we're gonna to get to the Christmas story, okay? But before we can get to the Christmas story, we've got to go to ex, uh, Ezekiel chapter 10, and we've got to go to Jeremiah chapter 3, and then we're going to get to the writing of Luke chapter 2, okay? So in the next few minutes, I want you to bear with me. Because for all that God has done for the people of Israel, gives them a promised land, provides them food, every provision that they needed, every blessing they needed, Israel received it. And what we're going to see today is that how the nation of Israel turned their back on God. And by doing so, God's going to show them in three ways, darkness, anticipated darkness. And, and, and they knew it was coming, but they have to wait for it to happen. Because God said to the people, if you will love me and obey my commands, then you'll get the provision of the blessing. But if you do not, then I will take my hand and remove my hand from you. And if you read the book of Judges, the book of Judges is the same thing over and over and over again. Okay, it starts like this. The people of Israel do something dumb. Then they suffer consequences for being dumb. And then they tell God, we were dumb. Would you forgive us? He says, absolutely forgives them. And then they do something dumb. And then God, then God gives them a consequence for being dumb. And then they have to repent and tell God they were dumb. And then they're fine. And then they do something dumb again. Does that sound familiar? That happens like times 50. If I'm just giving you a very brief synopsis of the book of Judges. You will get, it's like, oh, I know how this is going. And this is a good guy. Oh, no, he's not. He's going to do something dumb. And that's what happens to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, these Hebrew people. And so what happens is God says, when you do these things, I'm going to take my hand off of you. And you're going to have to live without some things. There's some consequences if you don't want to live the life that, that I'm trying to get you to live and trying to restore the things that I tried to create. And the first thing that the nation of Israel, listen to me on this one, the first thing they lose, God's presence disappears. The very presence of God disappears from the people. Now, one of God's qualities is this, is that he is omnipresent. This is, this is hard to wrap our minds around, but God is here right now in this room with us. You agree with that? But he's also at your grandma's house around the table right now. He's also at other church services all over Berkeley County, all over South Carolina, all over our nation, all over the world. The same God that is right here interacting, that is speaking to me, that is speaking to you, is also doing the same thing in other places. Mind blown? It's hard to wrap our mind around it. That's why it's God, by the way. 
but he's omnipresent. And yet, even though he's omnipresent, he chooses to personally reveal himself to all the people. And in here, in these passages, he reveals himself to the nation of Israel. He reveals himself to the people in the city, in the one temple, in the one box that they call the Ark of the Covenant. But all this is going to change because God said, if you turn your back on me, I'm going to turn my back on you. And in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is about to peer into the future. He's going to see 600 years before Jesus. And he's going to watch the presence and the power of God disappear from the nation. Look what he says in Ezekiel chapter 10. It says, Then the glory of the Lord moved away from the threshold of the temple, and he stepped above the cherubim, the, the angels and the cherubim lifted. Have you guys ever seen biblically accurate angels, by the way? They don't look like the pictures that we draw on there. They have like 15 eyeballs. I mean, it looks like stranger things. I'll, I'll have to post a photo. Um, sorry, sidetrack. That was just weird when I saw it. The cherubim lifted their wings. They ascended. The angels lift their wings. They, they leave the earth right before my eyes. The wheels were beside them as they went. And the glory of God of Israel was above them, and it stopped at the entrance of the eastern gates of the Lord's house. So why is this important? Because without the power, the nation of Israel is doomed. They are in trouble. God, what you just saw, and what Ezekiel just said was, God removed his presence from them, from his people. Why? Because he didn't do what he asked them to do. And so they're in a, they're in a world of trouble. And to build the story, God decides to remove his presence from the people in the year 591 B.C., all right? I want you to remember that. I don't know if you're not good with numbers, good luck. 591 B.C., they will have to wait, you ready? They're going to have to wait 600 years before Jesus comes. Now, not only did they lose their presence, they also lost their place. God's place disappeared. Completely disappeared. God decided to, to confine himself to this box called the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you probably have seen it in the Raiders of the Lost Ark or in Sunday school, but there's a picture to show you what the Ark would have looked like. Uh, not allowed to touch it. You only carry that on poles. There's a couple of stories where uh, people physically touched it. One, they were carrying it on a cart and the cart hit a bump and it starts to fall off and this dude reaches up to grab it to help push it back on. But when he grabs it, dead, gone, because God said, don't touch it. So it's not that God lived in the box, but they believe that the presence of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark of the Covenant would stay into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And in Jesus' day, it would have been in the temple. There was a veil that would separate, right? And so the only people that were allowed to go into the Ark of the Covenant, because it would be the same as walking to the very presence of God, would be the priest. Now, what would happen is, the priest would have to go through this whole ritual of being cleaned and praying to make sure that his life was sin-free and he had repented of everything. And what they would do is they would take his robe and they would put bells on the bottom of the robe, and then they would tie a rope around his waist. And if he would go in behind that curtain and he would begin doing the spreading the blood for the people, for the sins of the people, for the whole community, if the bells stopped ringing, they would just pull the rope and drag his body out. Okay? That's fine. But if you're number two that's got to go in behind him to finish what he did, <laughs> you know, you're probably going to pray a lot differently, right? You're going you're gonna to go through all kinds of purification. And, and what would happen is they would go back here to this presence and worship God. So now God says, I'm going to take 
not only my presence, but I'm also going to take my place. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. <laughs> it's gone. And when it's not there, it's hard to do sacrifices. It's hard to do services. It's hard to do your ceremonial and your moral systems that they had. So in 591, they lost the presence of God. And Jeremiah tells us that not only did the Ark disappear, but it says that the Ark will never be spoke of again. The very thing that their whole community revolved around. He says, you will never speak of it again. It'll be gone. Anybody know where the Ark of the Covenant is today? I don't know. If you, if you know, you could probably make a lot of money or at least make a movie about it. Uh, Indiana Jones Part 2 of you finding the Ark. But here's what Jeremiah 3 says in, in verse 16. He says, it's the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. It will never come to mind. You won't think about it. And no one will remember or miss it. Their whole life revolved around this thing, and he's saying, you will not remember or miss it. And he says, by the way, and another one will not be made. You lost it. All you had to do was obey, and you didn't. And so you, you, you lost the presence, and you lost the place. This is what's weird to me. Because the Ark of the Covenant was taken in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we read stories of them going to the temple. Correct? And they would do Passover. They'd do Passover every day, every day in the temple. They would sacrifice two lambs every day. You did not want to be a lamb in Israel during this time. But they would raise them up and they would sacrifice them. And what the priest would do is would take the blood into the Holy of Holies and would spread the blood in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, here's my question. If the Ark of the Covenant is taken in the Old Testament, what are those corrupt priest doing behind the Holy of Holies that nobody else can go to except the priest. Because there is no ark there. They, they, they are being massive hypocrites. They're going into an empty room and sprinkling blood in an empty room. This is, this is hypocrisy. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like they're fooling the whole nation. And we read in the Bible in, around Easter time, we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, and it says that there became a great earthquake, and the veil was torn from top to bottom. The big veil that separated man from the presence and the Holy of Holies with the Ark of Covenant is. Here's what I think is fascinating. I've always heard people say that that was torn because it was symbolizing that we now could go where the priests were. But let me, let me unravel this because I think it may mean a lot more than that. I believe that the curtain was torn on that Easter morning to expose the hypocrisy of a religious system that couldn't save anybody. That they were just going through the motions of church and of rituals and, and not doing what they were supposed to. That even though God had taken His very place and His very presence, they keep on acting like everything is fine. You ever been there? Let me help you out. Some of you have. Because there's a check engine light on your dashboard that you're just hoping magically goes away, right? And then finally, your muffler falls off, and you're like, I didn't expect that. Well, do you have any indication? Well, there was a check engine light that's been on for a year and a half. Maybe, maybe that had something to do with it. We can ignore things and try to pretend like they're not okay, but they're not okay. I remember driving when I was in high school. My car broke down beside the road, a country road all by myself. And I remember calling my dad and was like, hey, my car just turned off. He said, okay. So he starts doing the checklist of things to find out like why this car broke down. He says, well, how much oil does it have in it? I said, I don't know. When's the last time you put oil in it? He said, son, not my car, not my problem. There was no oil in the car. 
That indicator light had been on a long time. I just thought, old car, those things just happen. It kind of lights up around Christmas time. But <laughs> ignoring it did not make the problem go away. It exposed, it exposed a lot. So in 591, they were without the presence of God. And in 587, they were now without the place of God. God's people. They were without all of it. And now... They're going to be without God's prophetic voice because God's prophetic voice is the next thing to disappear. Presence, His place, and His voice. See, the, the last time God speaks to His people is in the book of Malachi. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. And what He says is basically in Malachi, is, hey guys, it's is, is going to get worse before it gets better. Those are encouraging words. Are they not? Like, oh, I'm going through this situation. I know, man. It, it's it's going to be good, man. It's going to get worse, but then it's going to get good. Like, don't talk to me anymore. Don't want to hear that. And we don't want to hear those words. And Malachi is telling the people of Israel, it's going to get worse. And worse it did. Because within this time span, from the book of Malachi until we get to Matthew, there's this new empire that kind of arises called the Roman Empire. And by the time we get to Matthew, they've taken over the whole scene. And now Christians are being persecuted. The, early, the church is being persecuted. The, the, the Jewish people are being persecuted by the Romans. They're being oppressed by the Romans. And God says, I'm going to send you a prophet like, I, like Elijah, who's going to turn the hearts of sons back to the fathers, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons. That was the, the prophecy of John the Baptist coming. And after he says those words, he says them in 400 BC, God drops the microphone and he doesn't speak again until the year, until 400 years later. There's 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. How do you go from being God's people to losing his presence, to losing his place, losing his presence? You lose his place and you lose his voice. And, and they do this for years. The people have been living without the power of God for 591 years. They've been living without the place and the presence of God for 586 years. And now they're going to live without the prophetic voice of God for 400 years. To put that in perspective, America is 251 years old. Could you imagine for the last 251 years that we haven't had the presence of God or the place of God or the voice of God? And they've been doing this for years. And the darkness and the silence for the people was suffocating. It was suffocating. So people had to wonder, where in the world is God at? You ever been in that place? Where the whole world collapses from underneath your feet. And you have to ask the question, where is God? Is God even here? Is he here? I feel like every time that my phone has dinged this month, it's been bad news on the other end. It's been bad news for our family. It's been bad news for other families. I had one family tell me, I feel like I'm living the book of Job. Like everything is falling. Our whole family is falling apart. Every little thing is falling apart. And I texted this person the other day and said, I know it feels like the book of Job, but the supremacy of God was in the book of Job. 
Job's world fell apart, but God never left. He's right there in the midst of everything. There are people here today that would say that maybe you even feel disconnected from God. You would say that you feel like maybe you're, you've been walking in darkness. This is a dark season for you. It's been a season that's not been a good one. Like you're, you're just ready for this to be over. Like maybe you're just here today because you felt like somebody, t- you just got, you got to be here. You just need to come and you were drug here. For others, you, you're here, but you're not, you're not here, but you're just physically here. And you're, you're just waiting for tomorrow to be done. Like you, you're done with the Christmas. You don't, you're done. Because you're, you're experiencing a darkness and a hurt. You feel disconnected from God. Maybe you're asking the question, I don't even know where he's at. Even in this season, I don't, I don't know where he's at. And as the nation of Israel, as they wandered without the power and the presence and the voice of God for 600 years of prophetic silence, no prophet speaking to them. And then all of a sudden, there's a glimmer of hope. It's a glimmer of hope. I've always asked the question, how in the world did the people miss it? That in the little town of Bethlehem, all, I, I mean, we read the Bible, we know, we see the prophecies. It tells you how it's going to happen and where it's going to happen and whose family it comes from. How in the world did they miss the answer to the prophecy? Let me help you out with that because they haven't heard the prophetic voice of God for 600 years. They missed it. How often do we miss it? And they, they, haven't, they haven't heard a prophet speak. They haven't heard anything. They don't know anything. And they missed it. And they're suffering. The religion has become hypocrisy. They're just going through the motions because they have to go through the motions. But they don't have a voice from, from God. They don't have a prophecy from God. They don't have a place. They don't have a presence. They have nothing. And they miss the answer that is just outside of the city of Jerusalem in this little town of Bethlehem. But all of a sudden, after 600 years, it's just a glimmer of hope because there's a guy that's born named John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And he begins going through the wilderness. He's a weird guy. Ate weird things, wore weird clothes, preached a very strange message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Preached the same sermon every time he spoke. And a glimmer of hope. Then Aunt Mary finds that she's pregnant. She hears this angel that has come to her. Remember, the angels had left the scene 600 years ago. But the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son. She's like, whoa, 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 can't do that. Not married. I'm young. Says, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the Messiah. He's the very one that the prophets of old proclaimed. It's a glimmer of hope. And the light got a little brighter. And as Mary and Joseph, this couple, they, they make their way back to Bethlehem. They, we, we read that they, we, we've always heard they took a donkey. They, they did not take a donkey to Bethlehem. They walked. Seven day walk. The miracle in that is a husband and wife, and she was nine months pregnant, and they walked, and we don't read about one marital argument in all of that passage. But they walked. 
And see, God has been at work the whole time, but they were missing it because there was no voice. Because they weren't listening. And there's this hope. And they get to Bethlehem, and they go to their family's home to be accepted into their family. And we read the story and think through the stories like the reason that Mary and Joseph, there was no room at the end because all these people had come for Passover and they were just late and there was no place for them to stay. No, because Mary and Joseph showed up to the family's house unmarried and she was showing. She was unclean. You can't stay here. His family missed it. It was these dirty, outcast shepherds that would get the news that tonight in the town of Bethlehem will be born a Savior, a Messiah. Think about that. All the religious people missed it, but the outcast God spoke to. They give birth to this child, not in a wooden staple, but in a cave. Not among the religious, but among the animals, the unclean animals. And they spend the night. And on that first Christmas morning, God's power that had been gone for 600 years, His presence that had been absent for 600 years, His voice that had been absent for 600 years, comes back to earth. The Bible says in John chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among His people. His all has been restored. And the light begins to shine. And I believe that star was not really a star. I believe it was the glory of God marking the spot. They weren't following a star because stars don't move unless it's a shooting star. And they followed that star. Can I tell you how God was at work way before this night? You remember a guy named Daniel? He was thrown in a lion's den. And they were going to get rid of him because he was taken into Roman, he was taken into Babylonian captivity as a slave. But Daniel kept his standards in a crooked and perverse world that he lived in, and he proclaimed, he proclaimed God, he stuck to his faith, and he rose to the top where he began to get favor from the pagan nation of the Babylonians. And they put Daniel, you ready? They put Daniel in charge of the astrologers. We call them something else in the Bible. We call them wise men. What does it have to do with anything? Where did the wise men come from? The Bible says they came from the east. Babylon. Daniel trains these astrologers not in the way of the stars, but away in the way of the star maker. He trains them in the ways of the Father. We would use the term discipled them. Hear me. Before that baby was ever born in that manger, God had already started the redemptive work. And he took pagan Babylonians and brought them to Jesus. It's so powerful that we can even go back to Balaam and the donkey. You guys remember that story? You ever seen a donkey talk before? Don't look at your spouse. Have you ever seen a donkey talk before? You know what Balaam's job was? To train 
the astrologers. God was working way before to restore the voice to the people, to restore the presence to the people, to restore place for the people. And here we come to Luke chapter 2. And the Bible says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields. And they were keeping their watch at night over the flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them. Now, you remember the angels had left in Ezekiel chapter 10. Here they are. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord began to shine around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. You ready? I proclaim it to who? Who's it proclaimed to? All people, not just the Jews. Y'all, the gospel is for all people. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what your family dynamic is, your socioeconomic background. The gospel is for all people. This church is for all people. All people. Not some people. I've been to churches that are for some people. But the good news is only good news if you get the good news, and it is for all people. And he says, I proclaim to you the good news of great joy that will be for all people because today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. And the shepherds are going, do you know who we are? We're the lowest of the low, man. We're the dirty shepherds. A shepherd's testimony would not hold up in court because they were considered thieves. And this is who they go to share the gospel with for the first time? And you've disqualified yourself? He says that his baby was born for you, who's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Other translations say this, that he will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. What you need to know here is these shepherds aren't just tending to sheep. They are tending to those lambs that are being sacrificed at the temple twice a day. These are religious lambs. In Bethlehem is where you buy them. Here's, here's the thing I want you to see here. And this may change the way that you read this passage. But the swaddling clothes was not a baby blanket. This is what they would wrap. When these lambs would come out and be pure, they would wrap it in these swaddling clothes keep it from having any blemishes. But the swaddling clothes for the lamb is the exact same thing that you would use to prepare the body for death. It was also swaddling clothes. Same translation. This baby, Jesus, is being shown that he has been born to die. The symbol's right there. And they're missing it. Not Mary. Not Joseph. It says they wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in the manger. You're going to find them. And then suddenly, the voice that they've been waiting on says, suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angels. They were praising God. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. And the 600-year drought was over. And the voice and the presence and the place just didn't come to the Israelites. It came to us. Because Jesus came on a rescue mission to save his people. 
And just like the angels who had departed in Ezekiel's day, they have returned and they are praising God for what he's done. And that's what Christmas is all about, everybody. It's, it's great to have gifts and I love the gifts. And I love the food. But I love the presence of Jesus here because it's a reminder that we don't have any of those other things without him. And I don't know where you are today. Maybe some of you are saying, hey, I, I am without the voice, man. I don't know that I've heard from God. I'm going to tell you, God's speaking to you because he doesn't move. We do. Always reminded the story of the couple who used to ride in the single cab pickup. And his wife would always ride right there on his hip and had his arm around her. But over the years, she would get further and further and further away until she was on the other side of the cab of the pickup. And one day she looks at him, she says, I don't know how we've grown so far apart. And he said, honey, I, I never moved. You know, for some of you, you have drifted to the other side of the cab of the vehicle. But God's still there. He hasn't moved. And he's still speaking. And in just a moment, we're going to light this candle. And we're going to use this candle as a reminder. We've been doing the Advent candles all season. And today, the candle is the light of Christ. Because nothing else matters without that light. It's darkness. We live in a dark world. Don't you agree? It's dark. It's a dark place. And I get so convicted that I often complain about how dark things are. I can't believe this is happening. But if I will take my light and just a little bit of my light in a dark place will make it really bright. I believe this church can change the world. Not because of you, but because of what God wants to do through you. But a lot of times before God can do stuff through us, he's got to do stuff in us. And we got to be reminded there's a light in here. And sometimes our light's dim and sometimes it's bright. But we have a chance to take it into a dark world and change. Even this holiday, you're going to sit around a table with people. And you know what I'm talking about. There's that one person at the table in the family. You're like, can we just go ahead and get them? Can we vote them out? Can we just play Survivor right now and just get them on out of the family? Because they're the drama, right? What if the drama stopped if you let your light shine on them just a little bit? What would that look like? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and we're going to sing. And as you hold this candle, I just want you to stare at that light. And I want you to ask God, this is between you and him right now. Am I shining this in, in areas in my life? Because maybe for some of you, there's some dark areas in your heart that that light needs to penetrate and cast out that darkness. But we light candles not as a ritual. We light these candles as a reminder that He is the great light of the world. Isn't it amazing that what happened in this little small town of Bethlehem, known as the house of bread, would bring forth who we call the bread of life to sustain us, to give us everything that we needed. And that same bread of life would be broken for our sin. So, Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you for being our light, our salvation. Your word says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Whom shall I fear? God, we're so thankful that we can experience your power and your presence and your place in this place. So I pray in this moment as we respond and as we sing, we light these candles, that you would do a work in our hearts to expose the dark places of our hearts that we need to repent and confess. And Lord, that these candles would be a reminder of what it looks like when we walk out of this place proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, the good news for all people. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand?